0: So every practitioner needs a toolbox. And this toolbox will look different for every person here. Especially in Zen, it may feel very systematized. We all walk and bow together, wear very similar clothes, and sit in straight lines. And the frontiers of the mind are boundless. What's happening in the heart, minds, and bodies of each person here is totally mysterious, unknowable to me. And even what's going on in this heart, mind, and body is mysterious to me also. So although we put ourselves in what may seem like a rather rigid form, we embody this form of Zen. What's going on in the mind is totally mysterious and different for each person. So every practitioner needs a toolbox and it's gotta be your own. You have to make this toolbox your own and distinctive. This toolbox is a collection of our various influences, whether we're a Zen practitioner, secular mindfulness, Tibetan, maybe all of those things in this day and age, we have an infinite number of options to pick through. How long we've been practicing, what kind of religious practice we had as children And definitely who our teachers are and how they have directed our practice and what tools they have recommended that we keep. This among the infinite other predilections that compose an individual. So what is the value in having a personalized practice toolbox? This extends far beyond our zafus. Having a toolbox means we can take our practice with us wherever we go. How do you care for the body when your nerves are shot? How do you take care of your heart when the desire for approval is not met? How can we carry presence with us throughout the whole day? in all of our various modes as we drive and shop and cook and clean take care of our families and go to work how do we build a practice toolkit that meets the demands of our daily life on and off the cushion so this is true for residents too we may not even think to practice until we enter the zendo so how do we make it seamless how do we not have a beginning and an end of practice, but just make it our life. This is a way to bring practice to life, to feed it, to make it our pivot point. So all of our activities spring from this place of our practice life. Some of the essentials are staying curious and being creative about how we make it work within a life. This can be a great challenge. We have very busy lives and also a great joy. And I found without having a really clear idea of what is in my toolkit, I go into default mode particularly in this era of infinite content being beamed into our pockets, into our cell phones, and computers, it's very helpful to be clear about what the other options are. Chosen often says, awareness brings choice and choice brings freedom. And I'll amend that and say toolboxes bring choice and choice brings freedom. Instead of remaining in default mode all day and only remembering to practice when I sit in a particular way and wear particular clothes and have a special bell, I have tools that I can utilize wherever I am. And I am as clear as possible about what those tools are. And this is your life. So your toolbox, as I said, will be totally different than mine. This is a place where we can be really creative For example, if I'm driving and listening to music, when I sing along, can I really pay attention to what's happening? Can I really pay attention to the feeling of words coming out of my mouth? Before getting on a computer, is it helpful to take a deep breath? These are the kinds of tools I'm talking about. And I'm talking about this because it's personal. I felt the need recently to pull out my own practice manual, my own tools, and reassess what's working and what isn't. Consider if anything can be added or removed. In this process, which I have considered something like a renewal of my vows, I have felt deep gratitude for my teachers. And yes, everyone in my life has been a teacher, the challenging and the gracious beings that have appeared and disappeared in my life, every one of them a part of me that is up here now. This moment, a perpetual culmination of all that has ever been. So everyone I've ever met has been a teacher, no matter how challenging. But specifically, when I was considering how I built my current toolbox, um, my first spiritual teacher, Ray Grace, is someone I feel deep gratitude for, particularly because he often spoke of things that I really didn't, I really didn't know what he was talking about, but I was very intrigued. So he wasn't trying to oversimplify anything. He was speaking to the heart. He was speaking to not my conceptual mind. And of course, Hogan and Chosen Roshi, as I spread out all my various methods and manuals, I see their fingerprints on them all, guiding me here, readjusting there, all along giving me the courage and faith to keep going. So today I wanted to just go over a few of the practices that have really carried me through the eight years of living here, the ones that I felt so deeply inspired by. So I'll explain a few of my own and maybe they'll work for you and maybe they won't. So pick them up or drop them as you like. So let's begin with mountain practice. This is a meditation, so if you would like to, if you aren't feeling like you're in a position that is skillful, you might want to straighten up the spine a little bit. This is a body practice. I'm not imagining a mountain over here. I'm not imagining the contours I'm becoming a mountain with this body. What's that like for you? This is a body practice. Feeling the weight of the lower body. Feeling the connection of legs and seat and feet to earth and cushion. Our attention sinking into the lower reaches of the body in this practice we come we become so inseparably intimate with the field of sensation that we call the body that we are able to lose track of what we imagine it to look like as it settles, tingles, flows in and out of our awareness. Can you notice the qualities of mountain that are present within this field of sensation? Grounded, stable, a kind of confidence. feeling into the sensations of the seat and the legs, where does your body begin? Can you really tell the difference between where the seat and the cushion are? When we drop the image of a body feeling down into the earth, where does earth begin and end? How do you breathe like a mountain? the qualities of a mountain invited into the space of the mind, open and spacious. Continuing to connect with the earth below you. Whatever you believe to be a boundary, explore it. Go beyond it. Connecting with the earth below you, this field of sensation, merging with the hill outside the window, not separate. How deep does this mountain go? How wide? It's a kind of deep relaxation. Letting the body open taking up space, taking up space like a mountain. In this space, body as mountain, the body is innocent. Some of us tend to have ideas about how it should be shaped and how it should move, how it should relate to other bodies. We feed it and clothe it and exercise it. We scold it and hate it and even try to avoid it. Sometimes we cling to it and feel a desperate need for it not to change too much. We cover it in oils and perfumes. This is all fine and it can be helpful to just let body be body. and not really know what that means. We have been discussing the Dharma gate of joyful ease. Do all these thoughts about my body bring joyful ease? Or is this more relaxed, spacious, mountain inclination, more inducive to drawing out that quality? We don't need to make our thoughts about the body another problem. And it's helpful to see what else is true. Mountain practice is a way to make contact with what is below the chatter. What is the body when the mind is quiet? Anju the other day said, I'm waiting for my thoughts to decide what my experience is. I really liked that. I woke up from a nap the other day. I woke up groggy. My head felt full. I was stiff. I noticed I immediately started making up a story about all these physical sensations. This means I did something wrong. This means I'm not happy enough. I should feel differently. I should have had a different lunch. Without being aware of it, the stories just start going. And I remembered Tito's teaching. All that thought about how my experience was based on simple physical sensations after a nap are just as true as saying, I am a blue hippo. I've been occasionally interrupting repetitive thought streams with that line. I am a blue hippo. It's not a negation. It's a simple way to help me see that thoughts are just passing through and I don't need to take every one of them as an immovable truth. So having something to interrupt that stream can be really helpful, and humor is a really important way to do that, can be a really helpful way to do that. We take ourselves very seriously, or I do, I should say. So I need people like Taito in my life to tell me I'm a blue hippo once in a while. (laughs) So body sensations, just body sensations, thoughts, just thoughts. I've shared this a lot, but a really pivotal moment in my early years here, I was in Sanzen and probably going on and on about something. <laughs> and chosen sort of sat there for a minute and then said, yes, we are making it all up. We were making everything up. Our opinions, judgments, preferences, stories. My experience is telling me that thoughts are like pinning the tail on vast space. So what does this have to do with mountain practice? I'd like you to see for yourself. Just sit, sensations flowing in and out. Sometimes taking on a shape other than the human body can be a helpful way to get out of our very human-centered way of thinking about how things are. So I've not only spent probably hundreds of hours sitting as a mountain, um, maybe more hours sitting as a tree. So everyone's got a different toolbox. So you see what's helpful for you. Boulder is a good one. If you're going through a time in life that's feeling Like this, (laughs) I don't know what the words are. Boulder is a very good practice. Just, you can imagine it like sunk into the earth, like really held by the earth. And then just part of you is out, stable, connected. And tree practice, you're rooted rooted deep into the earth, the body connected, the mind open, like the limbs of a tree open, like the sky. So be creative, just try out what works for you. How do you get into this body? That's what the question is for me. What works for me in that practice? So ideally I would be blissfully and simply present throughout the day with no need to manipulate that presence with specific practices or objects of concentration. That not being the case, I have very specific practices I engage at specific times of the day so that I'm carrying my practice outside of the zendo. This is another realm we can be really creative. uninterrupted blissful presence didn't come naturally, unfortunately to me. So I've began, especially when I moved here to habituate my mind towards practice. We're creatures of habit and we can make good habits. It's possible. (laughs) For example, the parking lot outside is always sound practice. And I've just, that's just a habit now. So my mind might be spinning, I might be thinking about whatever, but I'm so habituated to stepping off the curb or off the grass, coming from the other direction, to opening up to the crunch of gravel, that that just happens now. feet practice has always been an essential part of my life here so walking to and from my living quarters just really i have the allowance of like i can think about whatever i want which when you say that what does the mind do it's sometimes it just goes quiet like you could think about whatever you want and it's like oh (laughs) i don't actually know if i want to think about anything um but the allowance is think about whatever you want as long as you stay with your feet while you're walking And they've been, honestly, feet have been such a source of bliss that I recommend trying that one out. Chosen calls these concentration sprints. So if they're interesting to you, you can pick something like I walk to the bathroom in the morning. And whenever I do that, I'm with my hands or I know I have an altar that I bow to. And that's just a way of like really simply engaging practice in a way that the inner critic doesn't have a ton of room, because it's such a simple practice. And you're not saying like, I'm going to sit for hours a day, you're just saying like, for this like 20 steps, I'm gonna know that I'm making those steps. The last practice I wanted to talk about that has been really important in living here is a body practice and also um, a way of engaging this body with in interpersonal relationships. And that is um, when someone is approaching me or when I'm sitting and talking to someone, I stay connected with the heart. I stay connected actually with like the physical region of the heart. And that's really opened up an awareness of like, oh, anxiety or, oh, sadness or joy is arising. And I notice it before I've, if I'm staying connected with the body and this, the heart region, I notice those things arising before I've acted on them. And that's just been a really interesting and kind of exciting way to engage with other people. I'm not saying don't act on them, but it's just kind of nice to know it's coming. (laughs) Because sometimes it's like, oh, I'm anxious. I didn't even know that it was building and suddenly I'm doing this. (laughs) And it also helps me feel connected to the other person I'm talking to or the other person that's approaching me. I've already like looked at the heart and offered it kindness and Um, allowed it to open if it's willing in that moment. And that just takes remembering. Often I can open my heart more if I remember to. So all of these practices are just about being able to remember and again we're creatures of habit so we habituate ourselves to something like this we habituate ourselves to like oh, person heart and it doesn't in theory have to be more complicated than that all we can do is one footstep at a time one breath at a time one conversation at a time Reading the sutras and listening to talks and podcasts can be important and opening and really help us see all the things we didn't know we didn't know. And then we need to to decide how to live that with this body and this heart, how to speak it, how to share it with other people. There isn't actually time to wait for a better moment to practice. And where this takes us is a mystery. This practice is not about making the inconceivable finally conceivable. When we walk into practice, we walk off a cliff do we hit the ground or is it perpetual free fall? Is there anything to catch us in this life? This is where I will end. And this is why we're doing the mindfulness practices. to really quiet the mind so that we can look into the essential questions. What is it that's alive? What is my life when I haven't already decided what it is? What is mind? Not just your mind or my mind, but what is like mind? What is the nature of birth and death? Pick your question. Do they all lead to the same thing? And what does it mean to lead to something We're psychonauts on a very strange and wonderful adventure across the vast contours of boundless space of mind. Thanks for taking this ride with me.